All right, welcome to Inappropriate Earl. Now you might hear a guitar in the background. This is the first time I've ever had someone play a musical instrument on my show. And you're probably wondering, who is that person? What is that song? That song is the Pat Benatar song, Shadows of the Night. My favorite Pat Benatar song. And you might wonder, wow, who's ever playing that sure knows how to play it. Well, that's because my next guest was the founding bass player for Pat Benatar. Met her when she was a waitress at Catch a Rising Star. Please, guys, welcome. I am beyond humbled and honored to have one of my favorite bass players ever on my couch, the one and only, the great Roger Caps. Hi, Earl. Oh, if you could just, uh, you better pick up the mic. Howdy, Earl. Good to be here, brother. No, it's... Uh, you bet. <laughs> it's beyond an honor because, uh, you know, people who listen to my podcast, uh, you know, I'm a metalhead, I guess you would say. Uh, grew up with Kiss, you know, and then the 80s... A lot came. of people grew up with Kiss. Right, I mean... You uh, know what that stands for. I do. Say it. Knights and Satan's Service. Keep it simple, stupid. Oh, well... The- that was Gene's theory. Well, <laughs> Gene's got a lot of theories. I don't know if I'm uh, completely every behind. Every one of them are right. Just ask him. Well, <laughs> you know, awesome. Gene is, uh, he's an interesting man. Now, he was always kind to me. Uh, he had me down with Richard Gerstein. Uh, they were good friends to Electric Ladyland when they were doing uh, their, uh, they did their individual albums when he was cutting his, his awesome tracks. We had a good time that night. Wait, were you on the Gene Simmons solo album? Oh no, no, they use good players on that. Yeah. Well, Roger, you are uh, you are beyond I, a good player. I was just kibitzing that night. I was just because uh, Richard Gerstein, he got to do a lot of work with uh, with him, but uh, no, I I wasn't close enough to play on his records. He's very picky and he's very smart. Well, no, he's a uh, he's almost a businessman before a bass player. Yeah, he did the hard part first. Oh, right. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, how would you uh, critique him as a bass player? I'm not asking you to. Perfect. Really? Yeah. For Kiss. Yeah, for for anything. He was never played a wrong note ever. You know, he plays exactly what's needed to give it the most power. Put the headphones on and listen to any of their thousand tracks and you'll hear just perfect bass. That's all. Well. He gets no respect and that's. That's wrong. He should. I mean, yeah, I think it's because... Uh, well, because of the spandex and the makeup and uh, and his gruff attitude, but all that aside, he's perfect. And the uh, kiss condoms and the kiss coffins and... Well, hey, money's money. I mean, if they said to you guys, uh, hey, we're going to have uh, Pat Benatar uh, condoms... Would... I'd be buying them. <laughs> well, I hope I've got so. the bubble gum. <laughs> now here we have uh what i have right now is this is a uh audio uh, only podcast but uh, i have pat benatar videos with roger on bass playing on the tv yeah and there's scott it, hey scott scott's listening in today he's in nashville now we're gonna get into that see uh roger i don't plan any questions uh mm-hmm. you know i want this to seem oh, like good uh two guys talking at a bar you know uh w- what happened to scott well, Scott was the first one to get the axe, 
And uh, that's because Neil and Patty put their heads together, designed the way they wanted the band to be, and they really wanted to have a keyboard player. And Neil wanted to be the only guitar player because he wanted to do the guitar player flavor in the band. Right. And he knew more of what he wanted. And he was hired to be the, the lead gun anyway. So I was there the day he auditioned uh, in New York. And uh, I played, you know, he said, we'll play something we can jam with. You know, he's Sicilian, right? But uh, I think I played um, Chameleon by Herbie Hancock. You know, it goes like a... Like that. And and the, the drummer, whoever it was that day, was, uh, we just started jamming on. And Neil just tinkled around a little bit and Pat's bobbing her head and then Neil ripped it loose. Patty went to her knees. I saw her knees crumble right then. And that was the exact instant she fell in love. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That was the exact moment I was there. Now being in the eighties, uh, do you think Neil was like, I you know, maybe the guitar hero vibe. Cause this was like Van Halen was uh, not that he was a Van Halen, uh, you know, player, but, uh, that was the era of the guitar hero. Yes, it was. And Neil came from, uh, we got him from Rick Derringer. Uh, we were, we are struggling getting our demos together and putting the band together. And I believe, let me get the history straight on this. We oh, played, please. We played a, um, a gig at Tramps down in the village. And on drums was my good buddy, Don Perry. And Don Perry was friends with Jeff Aldridge, who was a A&R guy at Chrysalis Records. So Don, after a few rehearsals, told Jeff, you got to come down and hear this. So he did. He came down. And that's when the paperwork started going back and forth. Because Dome Perry invited his buddy to hear this really good band he was in. And so the struggles getting it getting it together. I think that Mike Chapman had done some work with Rick Derringer and Mike called, correct me if I'm wrong, my sister's good at this, correcting me. Uh most are. I think she yeah, they should be. That's their job. So uh I think the, that's when we got in touch with Neil. And flew him out, and that was it. That was just it. And he just burned it up. In his audition, he just really played his heart out. And to be able to do that on command, you got to be really good. He learned so much from Derringer as far as uh, what is that when you work hard diligently every day and practice to be a professional? Resilience. And to live through it is resilience. But yeah, he just got the really best habits from Rick. And and he was playing keyboard with Rick. So he uh he he credit he credits Rick. I'll credit Rick too. I remember when I heard uh, Rick Derringer play that solo on Hang On Sloopy back in the sixties. Come on, man. That guitar was years ahead of itself. I mean, he was the ultimate guitar hero at that time. Yes, he was. He was about the only one, him and Jimmy and a couple others. Now, how did the rest of the band come to play? Like, uh, I know Myron wasn't the first drummer. No, that was Glenn. And uh, 
I was part of the hiring policy, so I have to take the blame for Glenn. I was looking for somebody to play more toward the police, more toward ska, and more of a, a, um, a rattly, trash, village rock kind of drums. And there were lots of good drummers. Fact is, the drummer we had in our band at the time was Tom Harris, and he was one of the dynamic duo for Eric Gale. Fantastic player. And uh, I've got a, a track I'll play for you. We can't play for anybody else. But uh, of him playing on my arrangement of Stairway to Heaven, reggae style. Oh, wow. And Pat singing it. And you hear about eight and a half octaves in here. It's really something. Wow. Now, and then how does Myron come into the uh, fold? Well, we uh, got the band together. Scott, Glenn, me, Pat, Neil. And we uh, do some rehearsals. Then we go out to cut the record. Glenn cuts the record. We come back to New York and start rehearsing for the tour. And the tempo just goes to hell. Oh, really? Can't keep it together. So... Yeah, I'm sorry, Glenn. That's just the way it was. And so this guy, Neil Geraldo, has a buddy named Myron that he played in Rick Derringer with. And so he called him in to do it. And, oh, my God, that first gig, I think we played at Frogs up in New Hampshire or someplace. And Myron comes out. I didn't see him get dressed, but he came out in this multicolored paper clown suit. And he's bouncing all over the stage. It was nothing like rehearsal. At rehearsal, it was all business. Right. But, oh, my God, he come out and did that. I said, ah, oh, this guy's fantastic. I said, he does not hold still, and he doesn't miss a beat. Yeah, I mean. It's great. The best rhythm section, and I'm going to quote you, Don Perry, on this. Neil, Myron, Roger, the best. He said that to me two days ago. Well, was it hard to play with Myron? Because he. He jumped around so much. Did you have to look over and go, okay, where's he at? No, uh-uh. no, we were too well rehearsed. We knew where everything was at. Right. And then that already existed, and we played around that, which is good because every audience is different. It's like the weather is different in every country you're in at any given moment. And I learned to read audiences a long time ago. And so you make nuance changes in the way you're playing the song, the audience may not know. They're just going to like it better. You know, you may pay, play a little more in front of the beat, a little more in back of the beat. You know, you might move a little different, but, you know, you tune to the audience, and that's where the feedback starts, and that's where the chills start coming. And that's why we were such a good band. Neil was on top of it. Patty was on top of it. I was on top of it. Myron was really on top of it. Oh, I could watch him drum all day. I know, I know. I love watching those videos. He kills me. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. It was a good week. Last week, yeah, I talked to Scott and Myron and Don all in the same day. Well, I hope you can uh, get me back in Myron's good graces. Uh... <laughs> well, like I, like I told you in our other conversation, he has a sense of humor, but it's a bit dark. Well, and, and if you go dark, he'll get it. If you don't go dark, he may not get it. Well, I did go dark. Uh, Uh-oh. Well, can I tell you what I did? Yeah, let's hear it. If you want to fess up, I'll go. I do. I, I'm a huge fan of you guys. I, like, I, I, I am a mammoth fan of not just Pat Benatar. The per- I, when I say Pat Benatar, I mean the band. 
Yeah. I, I don't mean just her. I understand. And so one of the great things about doing this podcast is I interview only people I want to talk to, mm. like like you. Uh, yeah, if you can talk them into coming over. It's tough. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to get around in L.A. I've got guys I've been friends with for four years, and I have not seen them yet. And you've never met me before. I've never so. met you, and I'm already here. For you... <laughs> To come over here is it's it's not easy to get people of your uh, caliber and your field over here. So yeah, well, uh, think about it. We're really busy. Well, I have puppies, you know. But yeah, well, and two I, cats. Come well, on. Well, I had a dog and two cats, but that's a, that's another podcast story. Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. Yeah. Well, it's all good. It happens. Uh, let's just say I've started to. Oh, this is my favorite baseline, by the way. Right, love is a battlefield. I wish yeah. I could. Uh, yeah. Put the vo volume on, but if, if I had written it, I would let you play it. Let me ask you this: What songs have you written uh, for? I Pat? only wrote three. I actually wrote about twenty, but Myron is like very possessive when it comes to getting songs on albums, and plus he had a family to feed, and I understand. And uh, so, but not that my songs were any good. But which ones were they? Oh, the ones. The ones that I wrote that got on on the first album, I had two. The famous, world-renowned, My Clone Sleeps Alone. And We're So Sincere. Okay. And, uh, and that's the song that I tried to get a ska kind of rattly drummer for. Right. Because I, I envisioned the police doing the chorus on it. I know things about that song, if you want me to tell you. Oh, but sure. Since you ask, I will. I, <laughs> I did. Um, early on, way before Neil, of course, Pat was married for a long time. And her and her husband would fight, break up, make up, fight, break up, make up, fight, break up, make Been up. Been there. Oh, man. And it was breaking my heart because this is... See, I've been friends with Patty since early 1974 in Richmond, Virginia. Her husband was stationed down there in the Army, and she was working in a bank. And uh, one day she went to see Liza Minnelli in concert, and it just dawned on her that she could do that to an audience. So she gave notice to the band we were in, that famous album, if you can find it. It's like the worst direct you'll ever hear. It's all used up Vegas material, but it's called... Coxon's Army live at Sam Miller's Cafe. But anyway, I wrote this poem because they were ripping me apart. And this is in New York. And I wrote the poem and I gave it to her. And it was called We're So Sincere. And it's those words that are on the record. And uh, after Pat left Richmond, Virginia, there wasn't much left of the band. We were a quartet playing till four in the morning in strip bars. We had nothing to do. Been there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was fun, but, you know, at least it was something to do until I went to sleep. So uh, when our good friend Chick Corea came out with an album called Romantic Warrior, that album was so perfect, it blew me away. I invited the band over to hear two things. I said, I want you to hear this album. And I played it for them, good stereo. 
And then I said, the other thing I want you to hear is I'm giving two weeks notice. I have to go to New York and learn how to do this. And so that was the end of that band. But uh, I sold all my stuff in Richmond. I had about $9,000 in upright bass, a Fender bass, and an amp and a couple of suitcases. And uh, Pat and her husband met me at Union Station and set me up with a, an, an apartment with a roommate. And uh, we started. And she was at that time already managed by Rick Newman at Catch a Rising Star. And uh, we had the keys to the place, and we would rehearse there every day. And Catch a Rising Star for you younger, uh, for you little babies out there, is a uh, legendary comedy club in New York. Yeah, back when they were real comedy clubs. Yeah, and real comics. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, we were laughing our butts off every night till 2 and 3 in the morning and then come in and work during the day. It was just a wonderful, wonderful atmosphere. And I'm friends with all those people. I just got together with uh, Kelly Rogers, who's the MC at uh, Catch a Rising Star. Another MC is Richard Belzer. Oh, he's the uh, I think the three fastest minds on the planet, Richard Belzer, Robin Williams, and, oh, what's his name? He does the, uh, the Grammys every year or the uh, Billy Crystal. Oh, yes. Those three standing in Catch a Rising Star's bar trying to outdo each other. Oh, my God. You wet your pants. Guaranteed. Uh, there's a, there's a, a videotape. A VHS you can rent if you can find a VHS store. It's called the 20th Anniversary of Catch a Rising Star. And uh, our band plays on it. It was the first time we'd played there since we'd uh, got fame and fortune and gone on the road. But Belzer's on there. Robin's on there. Billy Crystal's on there. Kelly's on there. Uh, all our buddies are on there. And we're friends with the waitresses, too, now. Everybody's hooked up on Facebook. Book. We've got a... Facebook, whoop. Facebook, that's the lesbian website. <laughs> Facebook. Hmm. I better. I better. Uh, you better. Call I better write the... that down somewhere and mail it to myself. <laughs> but uh, but we're all friends, and uh, and they're all listening in today. I told them that it was on, so so they'll be catching your show too. Well, I appreciate it. So because... Shout out to Buddy Mantia, Kelly Rogers, uh, Elaine Boozler. The list is so long, it's just goofy it's so long. And the great uh, Rick Overton. Oh, my man. Me and, me and Rick are buddies. We go way back. And Gilbert Godfrey, too. Gilbert used to go on at 4 o'clock in the morning. I know he, how he... would he... get on very, very late when he was little. And, like, he's a big star now, but he used to be little. And Patty and I would just sit there and pee our pants. It's just too funny. I mean, that must be really neat to see someone when they were, and I mean this affectionately, a nobody. Mm -hmm. And then... Aflac. <laughs> yeah. At least that. Well, he had that Aflac uh, <laughs> till that... Uh, well, yeah, you know, until that recent... Did a couple jokes that I thought were funny. Oh, my God, yes. I mean, I mean he yeah. uh, had the best... Uh, 9-11 joke i think obviously oh, it's a horrible uh, oh it's a terrible joke laugh my butt off i'm terrible but to say it in new york city <laughs> two weeks uh too soon <laughs> yeah basically uh after for those of you who uh, don't know what i'm talking about he uh two weeks after 9-11 there was a hugh hefner roast 
And uh, Gilbert Godfrey came out and said, I'm sorry I'm late. My plane had to stop off at the Empire State Building. But um boom And just the... I mean, that's balls to say that joke anywhere in the country two weeks after. I don't hear any laughter out there. You really had to be there and <laughs> cringe because that's the way it was at Catch a Rising Star. I mean, you know, when Lennon got killed, I mean, there were Lennon jokes. I mean, life happens and comedians are going to do it. They're going to do what they do. See this show here? Yes. Uh, we belong. For those we belong. That's my last track. Love is a battlefield and we belong. And in those rags there, back there, you see him as Donnie Nazov. Yes. I'm sitting over at the Oakwood Garden Apartments wanting my gig back and Donnie's doing the video. I was killing myself. No, I don't mean to bring up bad times. but I'm it, not going to talk about it. Okay. Well, since you ask. Because <laughs> um, it was confusing for fans. Like, I remember watching this video as a kid going well yeah where's the other bass player yeah right and the invincible video i was like yeah that's well that is the other bass player invincible right yeah but i've learned that part since then just in case i get to sit in with them fact is i have fans sending me their current i've got their last week's set list and i'm on top of it already just in case neil if you're listening i hope he is i hope so too but uh i doubt it i stay on top of it I stay on top of it, so if uh, if I get the call, I can go. But on when we went on our first tour, I was in love and we were pregnant, and she was with me. But in now, I told this story last week at Kelly Rogers' birthday party when the Catch a Rising Star guys got together. There's Kylie, hey BB, um, she sings really good too, but. Um, we had a tragedy, and uh, so she had to stay at the hospital in Dallas-Fort Worth, and my son lived two weeks. And I'm saying this so that I don't get it asked to me very much. Right. So this should cover at least, what, 10000 Oh, uh, more than that. 62000 well, I mean, it's not it's, my listener base isn't exactly the Us Festival, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's good enough. Well, so what happened was um, Roger Jr. died, and uh, I started a downward spiral, and uh, the girl and I broke up. We have since made up, and she forgave me, and and uh, she lives in Hawaii, and she's wonderful. But, uh, I mean, my world was perfect, but then that happened. So I started a downward spiral, and it took a few years for me to bottom out and standing in MCA Whitney studios where we cut the first album and where we cut, we belong in love is a battlefield, same exact studio. I was in the lobby. I was reading the paper and here's, I'm not going to say the F word, but I will say psychiatrist is just as bad. They put a list up of the 10 warning signs of depression and I said, Patty, come here and look at this. And we start going down the list. You got that? Yeah. You got that? Yeah. You got that? Yeah. And, and, and contemplating suicide? I said, yeah. That did it. Here was her friend. And I've been her best friend since 74. Now I'm looking into the pit of death. She fired me to save my life. Really? 
I got on the program. I got clean. I saved my life. I've had a beautiful, beautiful life since then. Thanks to her. That's what happened. Uh, well, I appreciate you telling that story. And, uh, you know, I'm just uh, humbled and honored to have you here. And Well, lucky for you, I told it once just a few days ago. So I could, I knew I could get it out. I never told anyone. So no, well, I, uh, you're one of the first six. Well, I'm, uh, you know, being a comic, I'm always looking for stupid jokes. and boom boom yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to dig deep, brother. <laughs> no, I, I don't. Uh, I get depressed, uh, but, you know. Oh, all the comics I know get depressed because they, they live so high and their mind is going all the time. A lot of times worrying, is the next thing going to be funny? Oh, absolutely. And when they don't worry about it and just do it, they do just fine. As long as you're 100% yourself, you're going to be great. As fact, uh, one night Pat and I played at Catch, and who's the greatest comic in the world? George Carlin. Oh, absolutely. He grabbed my hand when we came off stage and said, you guys are going to be great. And I never forgot that. And no matter what happened, I never forgot that. And I always had that little bit of wind under my wings. So I wasn't overconfident. George Carlin told me I was going to be great. I mean, that's enough for me. Right. No, it's, uh, you know, it's just like Rick Overton the other night said, Earl, you're hilarious. And like <laughs> that, uh, I might not have been having the greatest day in my life, but <laughs> when Rick Overton tells you that, it's like, yeah. I'm good. Oh, that guy beams, don't he? Oh, he just—he's a legend, and I don't, you know. Oh, we used to watch him every night. He had a partner named Roger, and uh, we used to have so much fun. We would carouse about town on occasion, but we spent a lot of time in the basement at Catch a Rising Star because I had a tape recorder down there that went into the PA system that Rick Newman had me install, so we'd have a good vocalist. PA system and I ran wires down to the bottom and I've got about 150 cassettes from catch a rising star. Wow. And, uh, I don't know where they all are, but I find a box of 20 and 30 every now and then. And I listen to them. It's got Richard Gerstein on there. It's got, uh, David Brenner. It's got Richard Belzer, Kelly Rogers. It's got uh, buddy Mantia. Uh, all the guys, Vinny Tallarico was a singer. I got him on there. He was a good drummer, too. And he's still working. He's East Coast somewhere. Right. What a life I've had. Now, when, uh, yeah, please break into any musical interludes you'd like. Uh, <laughs> when was, like, the, the, the first moment of, as a band, we've made it? Like. We were playing. We went. It was on the first tour, of course, you kind of get a we made it feel when this big black tour bus pulls up in front of Catch a Rising Star, and it was Bruce Springsteen's first tour bus. We got a deal on it. And the big man, Clarence, he had a, a bunk made back there that was a little wider and a little longer than everybody else's. And then Bruce's room was in the back, so that was Patty and Neil's room. The big man's bed was mine because I'm 6'2". But Scott 
Sheets was taller than me. I think he's 6'4", and his wife is very tall, too. But they wanted something you could draw a curtain on. Right. But I, so I got the big bunk, and that was kind of it. But we played, um, again, I don't know if it was Frogs or, oh, there's a couple of places up there around New Hampshire. Uh, I think we were playing a school, and they built our dressing room kind of in the middle of the gym floor. And then we go from there to the stage and then back to this makeshift dressing room. And the ovation started and they started beating on the walls and they beat the walls down. So we had to go play. And I thought, wow, this is what it's like. This is it. So that's kind of the moment. Yeah. And then like you mentioned playing in front of the beat and back of the beat, depending on the crowd, like, Oh yeah. How did you play? I mean, the us festival, the the size of that crowd was unbelievable. Yeah, I still don't get an exact number. I hear it's somewhere around two hundred thousand. I mean, I. But you know, it's just acres and acres and acres of people wanting to rock like hell, and they did too. We were there several days because they had a metal day. Yeah. Which I I don't know how Joe Walsh got on the medal day, but well, he's Joe Walsh. <laughs> no, he must. Have, I mean, do you he's think he's a he... founding father? Yeah, I guess he can go any night he wants because uh, Graham was running it, right, Lou Graham? Right. Uh, am I saying the right Graham? Uh, who did uh, Sam for Bill Graham? Bill Graham. Bill Graham was running it, so Joe and Bill go way back, and uh, I was there the day. During the day, the kinks were there. And just about sundown, the kinks pulled a fast one on Bill. They wanted one more million dollars, please. Bill was livid. He was cussing and running, and they were fighting. But the kinks wouldn't budge, so Bill got the cash, brought over, and paid them, and they went up and played that day. That was fun. The uh, sound system that they used for the US Festival was the same company that our sound system was. And it was especially large, uh, I think it was 16 ply, Russian plywood, real heavy stuff. So it would really kick out the bass. And uh, so we were really comfortable there because on stage, I've been asked this before, what's it like? I've been on big stages, they would say, and and I couldn't hear anything. And But when you're at the level we were at, and at the level this concert was, they had the best of everything. And uh, and we had good side fills. It was our stuff. We were used to it. We used our monitor guys. They knew how to mix for us. We had a sound check. And it sounds on stage pretty much like it would sound in headphones for you. So we can hear really good. Pat has to, because I was playing four Atlas not Atlas, Ampeg SVTs. So I had a huge bass mouth. And uh, Neil had eight JCM 900s. And Charlie, of course, he was going through the house mix. And Myron had a, two huge monitors behind him. Everybody could hear perfectly. And, uh, and then there's the highlight of the show. That was September 5th, 82. My birthday's... September 2nd, so I kind of took it as my birthday. At one point in the show, we did Hellers for Children, 
And during the fast part at the end, they roll the stage lights onto the audience. So what you see is this ocean, and I mean ocean, of these white forearms. You know, when you got both arms up rocking like hell in right. the sky. And here I'm seeing quite possibly half a million arms to this song I wrote, Hell is for Children. And it's like, I will just never forget it. That's the highlight of my career was that moment at the US Festival. There were lots of great ones. There was the, the ones in Michigan where we donated 60000 to the Vietnam vets. We always supported the vets. We've done lots of shows to raise money. We've had lots of great shows in Europe and lots here. But that, for me, that's my moment. Right, of like, wow. Yeah, that was, oh, my God, for sure. And you guys came along almost at the perfect time when MTV was a little baby, and they actually mm -hmm. played music videos. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they do now. Keith Olsen had an idea. So listen, we want to get a song, and I think it should be this one, You Better Run. And we knew Felix and those guys from New York. They were West Side, we were East Side. But we knew them and went to Felix's restaurant. But uh, Neil did a kick-ass arrangement of that song. And uh, we went downtown L.A., there's a tunnel down there where they uh, shoot a lot of science fiction shows. I think the end of Predators, where Danny Glover comes out at the end with the gun. And Great it's got movie. Wine. Well, it's that site is where right. we shot You Better Run in a little warehouse right up there. And Keith Olsen was there that day, and we shot that video. And uh, that was before we went to Europe, because I'm playing a B.C. Rich. Thank you, Neil. Uh, bass guitar, and uh, and I took that thing to Europe. I wish I'd taken my finger and chewed my fingers up. Every show, there was blood everywhere. So B.C. Rich didn't work out for me. But Ibanez did. Fender bass does. And you have a beautiful Gretsch guitar. This is Mariah. I met her about a week ago. I mean, it is. I fell in love with her. Take my picture. I, I will. Hold on, guys. Here, I'll put a mic next to her. F hole. <laughs> She's sexy. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. I mean, as a non musician, which is one of the great regrets of my life, uh, mm. that is a beautiful guitar. It is. She is. She is, right? I don't she even is. want to say it. She has all these little knobs and. Got the whammy bar. Got a whammy bar. She'll bend any way I want her to. I mean, Brad Gillis would love uh, this. <laughs> the king of the whammy bar. Yeah. So uh, I, I had a talk with her last week, and uh, I put up on my Facebook page, which is Roger Caps 2. Please visit. And, uh, yeah, well, there's a lot of great old pictures from Catch up there and some road pictures. But... Uh, Somebody said, uh, let's see, did she let you get to third base? And I said, well, she did let me wiggle my fingers a little. Right. I bet. Yeah, she did. But, yeah, we fell in love, and uh, now we've consummated this morning in the car on the way over. <laughs> get your mind out of the gutter, guys. Oh, no.
Well, I've often thought that uh, bass players and guitar players must be incredible at foreplay because... Uh, Tell me about it. I mean, I can imagine uh, Eddie Van Halen playing Eruption on a female body part that would get a girl... Which one in particular? Well, I, you know, I, I, I like to keep it clean, Raj, but, uh, you know, there's yeah. only... Well, I don't mean which body part. Oh, okay. Which girl? Well, I mean, who's I, the most beautiful girl in the world? Come on. Right. I mean, uh, Valerie Bertinelli. Hello, she's a doll baby. We love her. Well, I mean, she. Uh, you, you know, uh, of course, they gave birth to the great. Uh, well, let, let me ask you this: <laughs> as a, uh, this is more a fan question. Okay. Um, you know, Van Halen is. Uh, I guess they're reunited. Uh, well, they were at the US Festival too that day. Yeah, right. Now that's we Van were at Halen. the same hotel. I can. Oh man, David Lee Roth stories from back then. Well, David comes strutting out through the hotel to get on the helicopter, and he's, "Where's Eddie? Where's Eddie? Eddie? Where's Eddie?" He was all jealous because everybody loved Eddie more than they loved him. Right. But he's like a hundred times more talented. What are you going to do? You know. Well, I mean. Uh... Yeah, that, that I mean, an ego is one thing, but you go over the top, man. You're going to lose fans, I think. Well, I think uh, he he was beyond over the top, but uh, well, to be in that band, you got to be something special, and and I think the Van Halen brothers had their feet on the ground and they played their ass off, and they were the core of that group, you know. Well, I love the uh, bass player's uh, backing yeah. vocals. Yeah, which <laughs> I uh. Do too. <laughs> you know, mysteriously, Roger, uh, when I saw Van Halen at Staples Center, uh, I heard Michael Anthony's vocals, and he was not in the band. I'm not sure what was going on there. <laughs> I understand. I'm the same with some Zappa records. Well, I mean, I'm a, uh, I, l I respect Wolfie Van Halen. I mean, to be 20 years old mm -hmm. and to be asked to uh, sure. fill in for Michael Anthony, who... Uh, How could he not? Was so integral to that the the band's sound, you know, like you and Myron were to Pat's sound. Yeah, I think yeah. Alex and uh, Mr. Anthony were. Yes, Eddie got the attention. Mm -hmm. David got the attention, but without Michael and uh, no man, you got to have a good core to hold that band up in the air, or you've got to have a great set, a nice rack. You've got to have something special to be at the front of a band but the band number one has to have a good drummer or you're screwed because the drummer is for lack of a better word the uh the, i guess you'd say the quarterback of the team like he sets the yeah he's the pacemaker yeah he's the heart of the team and then it goes to the bass player because you've got to keep in time with the drummer well i've got to communicate the rhythm to the chords right you know? i tie them together and then neil and my job the guitar player, in this case, Neil, looks at you, and he's got a... Well, he, he cues me. Neil oh. cues me as to go ahead of the beat a little, or he'll lean his head back, lay back a little bit on the beat, you know? Because he watches the weather of the audience, as I do, and, and I've always agreed with him, and we always had a good show, every damn one of them, except one. Well, let's get to that. You know, being a sadist, I love hearing about the one show you didn't have good. Atlanta. Well, that there you go. No, it's more than that. My mother and father drove down from Knoxville, Tennessee, to see their son play. Now, my dad thought I was gay my whole life, bless his heart. Of course, 
to him, Clark Gable or uh, Charles Bronson was gay to him. Uh, he's a tough World War II guy. Hence, hell is for children. But that's another story. Well, we got time. They came down. They came down, and they brought with them a nice big pot of chicken and dumplings. That's when Neil and Patty first, when Patty had met my mother, she came to New York to visit, but had the first time they met my father, whose name is Zell, Z-E-L-L. They fell in love with both of them, especially Zell, because he's a character. Abbott and Costello funny. And we ate and laughed and ate and laughed right after sound check. By the time we got on stage, that chicken and dumplings had doubled in size. We weighed an extra 30 pounds each. We could not move. You know, there's, you like to dance around on stage and, you know, get some excitement going. Neil looked at me. <laughs> he held his hands up and says, I can't move. I'm dying here. And so ever since then, Neil has called me Zell. Pat has called me Zell. Just in memoriam of that chicken and dumpling dinner and the Atlanta show that we never really played. We went through the songs. We counted them off and we ended them together. But we were dying. We were so full. Well, I can... Uh... Oh, it was it was torture. That, that set took four or five hours long. It was so bad. We had no energy. We couldn't move. Chicken and dumplings. Where, where, now, was this at the Omni in Atlanta, I'm assuming? Mm, I believe it was. Legendary was, uh, yeah. Southern Arena. I've got all my uh, tour guides and, and all those special things. I've got boxes of junk from 40 years ago, but it's fun junk. What about those leather pants from Live in, on the Tube? Oh, boy. They were looking good, man. Yeah, man, I love those pants, and I never found another quite like them. <clears throat> we were playing someplace down south. I think, is there a place called Glen Helen? Uh, yeah, well, it's where the uh, Us Festival was. I mean, that's uh, oh, yeah? San Bernardino. San, yeah, San Bernardino. Okay. We finished the set there, and we'd been on the road for almost a year. And I'd worn those pants every show. Well, we go off stage, you know, splashing some beers and wiping down. And I go to reach my foot up to grab the stair and get back on stage because we're going to do an encore. And kapow, they explode right at the crotch, down to both knees. No underwear. Okay, we're going to jump forward in time a little bit. No, no. There not... is, this is integral. There is a man. Uh, he, he's left us now, but his name is Don Dodge. He was my uh, tech for basses, and he was also tech for Michael Jackson's uh, victory tour, the Jackson's victory tour. So my buddy Greg Wright, who I play with all the time now, who was hired to tour with the Jacksons because he could play the Beat It guitar solo that Eddie Van Halen recorded. Greg and I started working together 30 years ago, and we've had several bands. Our, our last best band was uh, in the late 80s with Matt Sorum on drums. Oh, wow. Google this. Greg Wright 
Free Man. And that's a song that was off Greg's Motown record that we that we cut at the time. And uh, Ainsley Dunbar plays the track. Oh, wow. So I've played with some good drummers. Yeah, I'd say oh, so. Oh, man, I am very fortunate. These are the best of the best. Timekeepers Deluxe. Well, Matt was gracious enough to come in and lip sync to Ainsley Dunbar playing Free Man. So go look that up and 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 play it. It's a, it's a great song, and we got that late 80s look with the clothes. I love it. Everything. It, it's, it's pretty something, and Matt is just fantastic. So we had that band, oh, good eight months, and we're playing around Hollywood in here. Matt disappears. We have to get another drummer because we got gigs. Matt, where are you? Call him. No, no, we don't, we don't get him. We can't find him. No, Matt. Six months later, he pops up with who? Guns yeah. and Roses. Small band. Yeah. yeah. I understand, Matt. Millions of dollars, lots of fame. Really good band. I forgive you. I texted him last week. I said, Matt, listen, here's my number. If you can get me a seat, invite me over to the Troubadour, would you, buddy? Well, I snuck in. You did? Yes. What's the technique on that, Earl? I can't say over the podcast. Okay. All right. You used somebody, didn't you? Well, you know... Uh, Don't give it away. You can tell me off. Oh, I will. Offline. Uh, <laughs> let me... Uh, but, you know, you know I'm, I'm not crazy about that band, but I'm crazy about Matt Sorum. Well, I went because uh, my friend, uh, the great Brent Fitz, uh, he drums for Slash, and uh, I was kind of hoping he would get... I the- like Slash a lot. I know some guys that have played with him, and he's a sweetheart. He's, and when uh, people I respect tell me somebody is a sweetheart, I'm in. You know, I became. I, we saw him play at the Palladium uh, a couple months ago, and I brought uh, my girlfriend at the time, and she's a huge Slash fan. I mean, and uh, my friend said, "Hey, I, you know, I can get her to meet Slash," and Slash could not have been any nicer to this girl. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I said, I, well, I want to see the guy who's got the gig over my friend. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, Roger, it's, uh, it's not Guns N' Roses to me. You know, it's Axel looks like Greg Allman. <laughs> Slash yeah. has a pacemaker. Oh, you know who I saw on television this morning was, uh, uh, freaking, um, uh, Cheap Trick. Oh, I'm still ma- mammoth fans of theirs. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Duff, the bass player. Right, right. Amazing bass player, but he's completely sober, which I'm very happy about. Yeah, and then, it'll uh, change you. You know, it's like it's it's not the Guns N' Roses I grew up with. The, the, right, yeah. And uh, they have... Uh, oh, Lord. <laughs> and then they have a black it's drummer. Like chili Peppers without Flea. Right, yes. It's impossible. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they have a black drummer who's, you know, obviously very good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but although I I got uh, I wanted them to play the their song One in a Million because there's a line I'm not going to say it uh, in One in a Million where uh, uh, Axel uh, says a word that's not often said in society it's, uh, ends with E R. Uh, well, that that could be anything. Well, let me say trucker. It rhymes with. Let me say what it rhymes with. And oh, then, would you? I'm uh, good at games. 
You know, uh, there's platforms out in the ocean uh, where they drill for oil, and what they call the people who work on these platforms is an... (laughs) 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 uh, Well, yes, they do. Uh, But uh, the, the ones who aren't dykes... They're called oil riggers. Riggers. I got you. That ER word. Yeah. And I'm like, I got to see when Axel says this line, what the black drummer, uh, how he reacts. But uh, they didn't play the song. so. Well, I found time again that dollar signs erase that number. Right. You know, so. But what they have was I found curious, Roger, and this is about Pat Benatar and your career, but. Well, as I reached my leg up, my pants exploded, my favorite leather pants, and they did look good. Don Dodge, the guy I'm telling you about, who is associated with Greg Wright and uh, uh, associated with the Jacksons and associated with me, turns out he also was really good with gaffer's tape. He taped my legs shut. He taped my scrotum to my leg I've been there, Raj. <laughs> so I played at the US Festival during the encore. I might be smiling. I might be grimacing. I'm going to go for grimace. What was the encore? Uh, uh, it was usually No, You Don't. I can imagine you sang. I, I uh, remember. I was singing No, You high Don't. High pitch. Sure. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, a wonderful thing happened. Uh in Southern California here, there is a bassist. His name is Joe McGowan. He and I and John McCloy had a band called Speaking Lamp. I had several bands back in the late 80s, but uh, this was one of them. And any band I have, it's going to have two basses. Why is that? Because I want to play eight-string bass, and I want to play up in the cello register and let a bass player be a bass player, and I'll get a good one. But there's other things. You know, I really started playing eight-string bass in Benatar after Scott was, after his demise, because I missed the rhythm guitar. Right. And there were certain things I could play that kind of put Scott there for me. Right, right. And, um, and you know, some of the big chords, like if uh, you players out there know that it's E-A-D-G, the open strings. And if you grab a low G, a high G, and play the open string G, you've got three G notes there, and that makes a real good loud chord. But if you've got an eight-string bass, then you're playing eight of those octaves apart, and it makes a really big chord. Now, Shadows of the Night is an F sharp, so at least I've got those. I get to play those. Uh, and and since I double-tracked the bass on Shadows of the Night... There's my uh, Fender bass is playing, and my eight-string Ibanez is playing, and it's just a wall of sound, a beautiful, beautiful chord. So you can have two hands to demonstrate. I've never done this before, Roger, but I will hold the mic. Well, there's an octave of uh, F sharp. Do you want me to sing the first verse? So I'm just hitting two notes here, but on my eight-string bass, I'm hitting four notes, which is an octave higher. So it would be like uh, the high one would sound like that on the eight-string bass, which is a real high F-sharp and an F-sharp. So... 
We're running with the shaft. So baby, take your hand, it'll be all right. Surrender all your dreams to me tonight. They'll come true in the end. You said you were going to sing. I didn't believe it. Well, I mean, I'm Earl. I, I'm embarrassed you, you to be singing in front you of you. I do. I do not. You got the voice, dude. I, I have a put it in the act. I'll back you up. When you, when's your next gig? Tonight. Where? <laughs> what are you doing tonight? Where? No, uh, well, I... Uh, I was going to go to PD's place, but screw them. Let's go have some fun. Well, I tonight at the Comedy Store at 12. Would you do that one night if I brought you on stage? Oh, I totally would. Yeah, w w we would do My Clone Sleeps Alone. <laughs> you know that one, of course. I, I don't know the word. I, I, <laughs> you can only, make them up. It's just as good. The only song I know word for word is Shadows of the Night. Well, good for you. That's the best one. So, baby, take my hand. We'll be all right. Surrender all your dreams to me tonight. They'll come true in the end. Well, Midnight Angel, Angel won't you say you will? We're running with the shadows of the night. So, baby, take my hand. We'll be all right. I love the way Neil pays that, too, man. He, oh, I, he's I got just, a handful of guitar, that boy. I just did something off my bucket list in life to sing Shadows of the Night. Oh. Thank you very much. Oh, this is why I, I do the bucket list. This is why I do the podcast, Roger. <laughs> I've always wanted to do a podcast again. Well, I mean, they're the new, uh, they're basically the new uh, radio shows. Uh, I mean, I know uh, Howard Stern caused a little bit of uh, controversy by saying, uh, you know, there's no money in podcasting, and it's uh, not necessarily why I do now, it. Now, Howard is a very creative, innovative guy. And he couldn't figure out how to make money? Come on. He did, didn't he? Well, you know, I think, uh, obviously, he knows a, a hundred times more about the the business than I do, but uh, the, you can make money on these things. Uh, I mean, not. I'm not saying I'm going to be worth a billion dollars in a couple of years, but, you know, it's... If you do say that, it might happen, so I don't know. Well, you know, I just... What I love about this podcast is, like I said, when I brought you on, I only deal with people I like. Like, That's the way to work it, man. Your life is going to be better for it. That's how I've lived my life. And, you know, yeah, I mean, you. I'm assuming you only play music with people that mm -hmm. you like and, and respect and want to play with. And, uh, and you know who I like and respect the last two years especially? Tribute bands. Because they're out there playing real rock and roll from the 80s. Right. And they're playing from the heart, too. Uh, there's so many good ones. In L.A., there's there's five great Benatar tribute bands. There's three really good Zeppelin bands. Led Zepp again is uh, Led Zepp my again, favorite. Yeah, they're hot stuff, man. They go, they go to Europe. They go to China. They go, they go man. But, and they're dead serious. Uh, Jimmy Sakurai. He is dead serious when he plays that stuff. I've seen him several times. I've even let them see me in the audience because <laughs> they wanted me to sit in with them, but 
whenever I would say, yeah, I'm going to come sit in this time, said, no, we're doing the 1970s album thing. So no, tonight's not good, but I'd go anyway. But yeah, they're great guys. And uh, there's a, it's a cult. It's a wonderful cult of nice people. Uh, and they're getting paid. That's what I like the best. They're getting paid. Corporate is buying them for their parties because right. they want to have an 80s band. Yeah, and uh, they can't afford the '80s bands if they're alive. And well, here yeah. we got guys. I was saying my friend Joe McGowan, he's got a classics uh, '80s band, and uh, he called me one night and said, "Hey, there's uh, there's a band that needs a bass player. Uh, they do Johnny Cash music." Uh, well, give them a call and see see what you think of them. And I did, and I liked them. We hooked up. I flew up to Washington, and who's in Washington dying of, I think, leukemia? Don Dodge. I get to Don Dodge's house. This is my roadie from years back. And we get to visit, before I go on the road, we get to visit this whole evening and had dill pickles and... You know, it's just a wonderful, wonderful evening to get to see him after 35 years and then go play some stuff. And then Don Dodge died two weeks later. Right. It's the magic of this universe that I live in that I call my home. And I'm very grateful to it. God's in my universe, but my universe is really, really big. You know what yeah. I mean? No, I do. I mean, it's, you know, that's and like, I've been so fortunate to be with the people I've been with and to have people in my life that love me and I love them right back. And, uh, and there's the Blackhawks. Come on. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, just as a fan, I get sad when, you know, yeah. you're starting to see artists from the late seventies and eighties kind of, uh, you know, move on to the concert hall in the sky. And yeah. I'm still not over David Bowie dying. I'm, yeah. I can't get over that. There's too much music. You know, and thank God we have the recordings and the videos that we have because they live on that way. And yeah, I'm sad that he's not there, but man, I got his art. No, his, I uh, his art is why he was here. I was uh, lucky enough to uh, date the manager of Motorhead. Ah, uh, the female manager. I, 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 there's two managers. Yeah, we were having that discussion on the way over here. Sorry, Rick. Right. Yeah. No. It's uh, and. Uh, you know, when Lemmy passed away, she's oh, like... tough one. She's yeah, like, I heard he was the best guy. He, he was amazing. Like, uh, I used to have to take him to the dentist. <laughs> and uh, Oh, you should have called me. We would have gone to Costa Rica. Well, we Save 80% and you get much better work. I had to stop off at the liquor store in Doheny. <laughs> uh, but he was... Uh, she's called me up and said, Earl, you're going to be the only guy who knows who all these rocker guys are. You have to sit them. And uh, yeah. and it was uh, it was really sad. That's and, a blessing, man. That's a blessing. Well, and then uh, it's funny. Uh, the person in charge of the funeral was uh, Wendy Dio, who's uh, yeah Ronnie Dio's uh, wife. And uh, about two three weeks later, uh, Jimmy Bain, yeah, the uh, bass player from Dio, died. And she's too like, much too soon. She told my ex, "Hey, get that guy back who knew who all the rockers were. We're gonna mm -hmm. need him for this." And it yeah, was just. Yeah. Uh, you know, I get yeah, sad. you're going to be called on, you know, it, it's going to be more and more frequent, but oh my God, did we burn bright? We did. Oh, Ever I... since 
I, I remember in in '66 when I uh, when Black Sabbath's guitar was just all bent out of whack and started off. Uh, what was that? Iron Man, I think it was. Well, yeah, changed my life. You know, changed my DNA a little bit, just like uh, just like a uh, um, uh, trumpet player. Just like so much jazz has changed me. Everything, if you get affected by music, it changes you. And it's changed me for the better every time. Well, I, I felt the same way you mentioned Richard Belzer. Uh, yeah. When I saw Scarface in 1983, he had a uh, quick scene as the nightclub MC before the big shootout. Right. And he was doing these great jokes. And I'm like, wow, I want to do that. Oh, like, you, I'll play some cassettes I've got. I mean, I'm nowhere near his level, but like he's the fastest. Oh my God! And, you know, he would say something. Uh, you know, somebody would interrupt him and say, "Go outside and practice falling down until I come out." Right. I mean, just oh, he was uh, still is, and he's coming back on uh, SVU Law and Order. It's just oh, been uh, which uh, has which is not a comic role, but he makes it funny. He does. He I, I know what to look for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Detective Munch is coming back. <laughs> now, speaking of comedy. Comedy. Um, one of my favorite music videos ever as a child, uh, early teen. Uh, I didn't quite get the references. You were in. And uh, was, and I know we've talked about this song a lot, Shadows of the Night video, where you and uh, Myron Grumbacher and, uh, you know, a lot of people always asked why the Nazis lost the war. And I think it was because uh, Bill Paxton was running sound. <laughs> but um, boom. Hey, and uh, why we won the war, Judge Reinhold was uh, a pilot. Uh, oh. What's that thing again? There's a scene where Neil takes out one of the Nazi soldiers. Right. We did that scene four times. Big guy. Yeah, he's a, he's a big, big, chubby Russian, yes. uh, German looking guy. But. Neil would hit him so hard it would knock his helmet off. Right. And so, let's do it again, you know. And so, and they're getting more and more tickled. So you'll see Neil smiling. You'll see that guy yeah. smiling, and you'll see him grab his helmet instead of defending his life by this American pilot that's going to kill him. He's laughing and holding his helmet. It's one of my favorite scenes in that in that movie. Because you know, I every time I watch that, I always say, "Why is Neil laughing?" That's why he he killed that guy. He hit him so hard. <laughs> now, when you were doing that video, did you? Now, of course, Bill Paxton and Judge Reinhold were. Uh, I could. I mean, this respectfully unknowns. They were unknown extras, and they were getting work. You know, getting film footage. Did you guys know who they were at the time? Like, Not a clue. Just but we knew that Reinhold, uh, Reinhold looked great sitting there with that red cap, chewing that gum. Neil looked at him and said, oh, that guy's too much. He's perfect. Look and that, I think, was, uh, what, what year was that video shot? 82? 82, I think. And that, that was, was, I think Fast Times at Ridgemont High came out 83. So that was, like, literally right before he popped. Yeah. You seem to have a habit of hanging out with people, seeing them. We hung out with people who knew who the up-and-coming were. How about the middle-aged and coming? That's... Uh, we're you, we're hanging out together right, right we're now. We're working on that. That's us. We we are us. Yeah. Let's see what else. What else? In that. Uh, you guys are all wearing Nazi. Do you think that might be one of the reasons you're not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? 
I think that's the only reason that it could be. And I've always thought that because they banned that uh, video in Germany. Well, I can see where that video might be a little touchy. Well, get over it. My God. I'm Jewish. Listen, I didn't. Right. We I, forgave them, didn't we? I like, well, after, yeah. You've been to Germany, haven't you? No, I haven't. Oh, it's great over there. Beautiful. Delicious. I mean, the last name Skakel, right. I imagine, would <laughs> be uh, well uh, regarded over there. Yeah. I think, I think I'm part Jewish. There may not be a drop of Cap's blood in my body. There was this jeweler that passed through town. I don't know. Something to do with my grandmother. I'm not sure, but when I lived in New York, I got my hair curled. I got my Kanish thing down, you know. You got a good hairdo still. You know, I'm cynical. <laughs> you have to be to be an, a mu not just a musician for 40 years, but a successful one. I appreciate that 40. <laughs> I think my first music vibes came into my head in the first grade when I was sitting on the porch with my sister. We had a house out in the country that we'd just gotten. And inside the house, the barn was a spinning wheel and a zither. And I took the zither and I started playing it with pencils, just naturally. And so I go to Germany, and that's how they play the damn zither right. over there, is with hammers. So so I think there's some DNA in there somewhere. Oh, absolutely. I mean... But in the Shadows of the Night video, I'm proud to say, and kind of toot my own horn, I'm the only guy that went up in those airplanes. Oh, really? Yeah. I told the pilot before we got up there, I said, so what are you going to do, putt around? Or are you going to try to do something good? I really yanked his chain. We did hammer turns, stalls, loops, dives. We were up there all day just off of Palace Verdes. They got a safe piece of water out there. Right. Nobody else. Myron wouldn't go up in the plane. says, no, I'm not dying today. But I had a ball. We flew out of Burbank Airport or whatever that little airport is over there yeah, yeah that's where those trainers are that they use for the american planes and uh but i got to go up and uh i wish i had an iphone then i would have had some great video i can imagine this is a long time before that but oh but I, I skydived up to a point anyway and i liked being in the air and uh see i was just telling somebody this morning that uh that I also got to fly Mach 2, but so did the whole Benatar band, and so did Ringo Starr and Barbara. We flew from Paris to New York together on the Concorde. Really? Yeah. Yep. And what was... Uh... I got to have a conversation with Ringo, and he still has my backstage pass. He never did use it and come see me like he needs one. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I that's got to be yeah. the greatest uh, line ever, just to say, hey, I'm a Beatle. I'm in. That is your backstage. There's only four of us, and I'm one, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had a uh, quiet conversation because I love drummers, and he loves bass players. And so uh, we, we did okay. We, we had a good conversation, and, and in exchange of me giving him a picture of me as my backstage pass, he gave me a coat hanger. It's a really good Do you trip. still have it? No, <laughs> no, it's a coat hanger. Yeah, but it's not. No, it's not just a I coat still, hanger. Yeah, but I could show any coat hanger. 
but I've still got my Concord suit cover bag. Really? And I've got the little Concord book of matches. I smoked the cigars a long time ago. But uh, that's Concord class. You get cigars and you get you know, all this stuff. It's the perks of being yeah. in. But but uh, we got to see the curve of the earth and go Mach 2. The numbers go up, and it got up to 14. And I thought, oh, man, this this is it. Do you even feel turbulence at that uh no, it's smooth, but you do feel an increase in speed. It says, okay, now we're going to proceed to Mach 2, and you feel a slight sinking into the seat. Very slight, but you know that you're moving. And you touch the windows, and they're warm because of the friction. Oh, wow. Jeez. And that's what stops it from going faster than Mach 2, is that the nose would burn up if they went faster. That would scare the you-know-what out of me. Well, they had horrible accidents, and it was no fault of their own, and the Concorde should still be here. And there's some horrible, horrible crashes, but what a magnificent, beautiful plane. Well, I am a, you know, I have a, I had a fear of flying at one point. Oh. So I started watching this show on the Smithsonian network called air disasters. Oh, good. That'll fix it. It did. <laughs> yeah. Because how well, bad can it get? Right. Well, you know, flying to me is a mystery. I just, it, I understand yeah. the... Uh, They're heavy. Why do they fly? I get you. How do they get up in the air? Yeah. One, and how do they stay there, two? And because then, their uh, wings suck. Right. <laughs> but this uh, this show breaks down why the planes crashed, and then they go strictly off the cockpit voice recording. Mm-hmm. And they have actors playing the pilots. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I've seen that show. I love those shows. It's just so... Uh, it made me more at ease. It filled in the because it was questions that uh, you had, yeah. Well, until uh, you know, I'm I'm a very dark sense of humor. We mentioned Myron having one, mm-hmm. uh, and they have the actors basically uh, voiceovering the actual voice recorder. Mm-hmm. And there was this one particular crash where I was like, I got to hear the actual voices. So yeah. of course I go on YouTube. Hello. And uh, I found the, uh, it's horrible what you can find on YouTube. You can't just, it's yeah. not just Pat Benatar videos, Raj. I don't look just everywhere. Yeah. So uh, th- this one particular crash, the uh, they were given clearance to take off. And I had no idea, Roger, that when a plane hits 140 knots, it has to take off no matter what's happening. There's no room to stop. So everything's fine, 120 knots, great, 130 knots, great, 140 knots. They start to take off. There's a dump truck on the edge of the runway, and they had to take off. The pilot says, pardon my language, but this is what he said, fuck it. And the wing clips the dump truck, flies off into a hangar. The co-pilot says to the pilot, I can't feel my skin. I'm burning alive you know, end of the recording. And what was the first comment, Roger, on YouTube? Pussies. <laughs> it's dark. That's just dark. So I, that's when you I know, stopped. I think that was probably one of the younger generation that said that, or a vet. It's hard to right. tell. It's well, hard to tell. Um, you know, I was friends with an EMT in New York, and he had pictures and I said, never, ever, ever show me that again. Oh, I have no stomach. I could never be a doctor because uh, I... Never. Uh, did you guys ever uh, have a close call on a plane? 
Uh, Myron missed a plane once, and it was the one that crashed in San Diego. I think it's when he was with Derringer, but he was late and missed that plane. Wow. That one that wiped out all those houses. The Myron, PSA. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Myron was supposed to be on that, and he wasn't. Uh, we didn't have any problems. Uh, we didn't fly that much. We scheduled our tours to be a bus hop. Right, right. Because we had a schedule. Our schedule was 4 o'clock sound check, dinner, showers, showtime, back to the hotel, pack the bags, throw them in the bus, drive to the next city, check into the hotel, sleep, eat lunch, 4 o'clock sound check, repeat. Right. And it was that, like clockwork, every day. What about the groupies? What Were they at 5.30? They, well, I was the only unmarried guy in the band, and I had complete control of all of that. My roadies took care of me real good. They got people in and out. Uh, well, now Scott and Diane were married. Myron and Monica were married. Neil and Patty were married. Who's left? That's me. Oh, my God. It's I know. the best. You got everyone's. I used to be 34. <laughs> sometimes uh music doesn't pay just in dollars my friend well i tell you i met a lot of nice people on the road oh i bet you did am friends with them to this day so uh i think i think that uh, uh bows ahead to good manners oh, well a good southern gentleman well, that to Southern gentlemen. But what's the feeling like? Not, like you know, obviously, I've never played in front of uh, you know twenty thousand people. Like uh, there's a uh, video of a live performance. I think it's in Maryland. No, it's Hartford of Shadows of the Night. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a great. The stage is unbelievable. And uh, that would be the Get Nervous tour if the stage was unbelievable. Yeah, it was like yeah. wow. Yeah, um, it had the ramps. Yes. Yeah, I loved that stage. It was great. And I, I mean, it. I, I can't imagine. I know when I play in front of 200 people, it's like a pretty awe-inspiring, like, wow, this is great. It is. But yeah. what, 20,000, is it, do you even feel anything? You feel everything and lots of it. And the more you do it, the more feedback you get from it and the more you give to it. And it's just a party you know, it's a conversation. It's uh, all kinds of wonderful things because there's all kinds of people out there and you're getting all these vibes. And I'm the kind of person that, you know, vibes is where I live. You know, I'm a bass player. That's low vibes. And my job is to hold the lead person up as high as I can with every facility I have, which my ability to play the bass, my ability to read the crowd put things in the right place of the beat to turn them on even more. Right. A little ahead, a little behind, you know, whatever's needed. And and look over in this direction or that direction or wave at the right time because you feel where the vibes are coming from. I mean, it's, it's undeniable. And uh, it could be 1,000 people, 500 people, or 200,000. You, you can feel it. I right. loved it. Is it hard not to play faster? Because I, I would imagine your adrenaline is like... Just, uh, no, you practice. You practice. And and that was that was a, a big button with us because so many bands get out of control. And we did that a couple of times early on, and Neil laid the law down, which made Myron darker. 
which made Myron more intense. And we never played with a click track on stage. Oh, really? It was it was all live. Uh, we lip synced to records on some TV shows, but we played live over the monitors. So we were always playing. So it was really us. And uh, you just pay attention. If you pay attention and you're a professional and you do a good job, you're going to get something nice back. Right. Well, like on that uh, video when you came here uh, live on the tube, mm -hmm. uh, you, that sounded like it was completely live. Yeah, it was. Like, yeah. no, not even like you guys, were you guys playing over a track on that or was that live? That one was live. Yeah, that was actually us. But we worked really hard to sound good. Well, I, I mentioned Jeff Aldrich before. He came to hear us rehearsing for the tour uh, for the record. What was it? He heard us rehearsing for the record. And we Neil had gotten us up to the level of, of being that good when we went in to do the first record. And uh, Jeff says, you guys sound like you're ready to go on the road. And we're nodding, hell yeah. And uh, that was the band that was meant to do what we did. Right. It just was, man. We're too powerful to deny. Well, you guys were just... Uh, really good band. I got to say it. We were a really, really good band. I mean, I... Had... And we get requests all the time, Facebook and private messaging and across the Starbucks bar. Man, want to see you and Myron and Neil yeah. and Patty again. And I Scott, do. You know, and... Uh, never say never. And I think uh, I've got a good chance. I text Neil about every three weeks. And I, say, I don't mean to bother you, but what key are you doing? Blah, blah. And just, you know, just to put it there. Oh, let's see, we've got a campaign going on. Some friends of mine started it. Actually, my daughter, I think, started it because she's never seen me play live. Really? Yeah. And it's uh, hashtag Patty, P-A-T-T-I, Roger, R-O-G-E-R, Spider, S-P-Y-D-E-R, 2016. And that's a campaign. It points to a certain place. And that's to get me back on the road with them so that my daughter can see us play, which I, she's in uh, uh, Brandenburg, Kentucky. So, so yeah, that should happen. It'd be, that'd be a no, noble cause to do. Well, I hope... Uh, I talked to Patty about playing with Myron, and uh, they tried that uh, in 2001 or yeah, 2002. Yeah. And I saw them. They played uh, right down the street from my house at Redondo Beach. Uh, some where they have operas and plays right. and stuff. And, uh, and I pulled up in my car behind stage there, and I walked up on stage. <laughs> they didn't have security that day, evidently, you know, or nobody noticed me. Right. But I would, Patty was singing, and and I just started talking to her, <laughs> and that was the first time she had seen me in about 20 years. It was really cool. And uh, so you guys remain friendly. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, she's like, she's closer than my sister. Right. My sister will argue that. But uh, I mean, w when you find your muse, when you find your best friend, and then you have all that success on top of it, uh, that's an unbreakable bond. And 
she loved me so much that she fired me to save my life. Come on, that's right. love, you know. And I see it that way, and I know I'm right. And uh, that's just the way it was. I messed up. I went over the edge. But you found your way back. Yeah, I got back real good. So, you know, I'm still young. When I'm in September, I'll be 68. I've got a good 20 years left in me to play. I figure the way I'm going. I mean, I almost died last year. I had cancer for three years. Um, yeah, I had chemo. I was a zombie. Oh, dude. Don't get cancer. It sucks. Well, it's not on my game plan. I lost my mom to it. It's no. Uh, oh no, it's horrible. You know how horrible it is. It's. Uh, so I was I was zombulated for for three years, and uh, it got pretty bad. But I come out of it better than I went into it. Some white hair fell out. Thank you very much. You got a full head still. I'm telling you, I'm sitting here with stuff, you know, and uh, I can't think of anybody more lucky than me. Of course, I don't know anybody better than I know me, but surely with luck like mine, there'll be some new videos with me and Neil and Patty playing together. And Myron. Let's not forget Myron. Yeah. Well, I, I Talk to him. I mean, I said, we... Myron, I'm doing a project. Are you interested? Yeah, I'm interested. So, and I talked to Scott. Scott, let's work on this thing. And Scott says, yeah, we're working on something right now, me and Scott. And uh, a good friend of mine, Phil Brown, uh, he's a excellent guitar player. He's, uh, he was with Little Feet for two years. And, uh, and Scott and him were both in Nashville. And uh, and we're passing, we're MP3ing stuff back and forth. They're working me to death, dude. It's not fair. I love it. It's not fair. <laughs> What's what happens when you're a great bass player, Rog? It's just uh, I'm running to keep up. They're really, really challenging me. I bought a Dean bass. It's an acoustic electric. You know, it's like a big acoustic guitar, but it's a four string bass. Right. And you look on my page, you'll see it. I took a drill to it, and I cut four holes in it. And I put guitar strings on it. So I have an eight-string acoustic electric bass. And that's what I'm using on Scott and Phil's project. You're like it's, a mad scientist of sorts. It sounds amazing, too. It plays better than my old basses. It's wonderful. Yeah, I try to keep busy. Well, you know, I'm gonna, I have another project I want you for, and that's to, to get me back into Myron's good graces. But uh, can I tell you what I did? And I want, and I want you to honestly tell me if I was in the wrong here. All right. All right. Here I'll we go. It. I'll do it. So a couple months ago, I uh, wanted to do a. There's a video website called Funny or Die, and it's. A, oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Funny videos, uh, just uh, YouTube type videos. And some of them are tasteless. I mean, you can't help but be funny and tasteless. Absolutely, which is my style of humor. <laughs> So I had found out that, you know, Myron uh, sells uh, Porsches yeah. in Woodland Hills. Yeah. And I came up with an idea to shoot a video where uh, I go in, not knowing who he is in the video, and we test drive a Porsche. And I said to him, hey, you know what? It's a pretty expensive car. Uh, I'd like to do this test drive to music. And he pulls out a Pat Benatar CD. Oh, really? Puts it in. Oh, no. We, you know, go on a test drive to say love is a battlefield. That's betrayal 
Oh my God. <laughs> but here's where it gets worse. This oh, is this oh is good. not where I lost them. <laughs> oh good, I want to cringe. Oh, you're going to. And you know by now. That a, you're a big fan. But what did you say? <laughs> I'm beyond a big fan because, frankly, you guys were so instrumental to my youth. You provided the soundtrack to my youth. Oh, and I'm not you. trying to be too ass-kissy, but fuck it. It's my podcast. It's true. I hear that a lot. It was a good band. I understand. I do. I, well, I know. I but, understand. And I, I think we'll be in the same room again, but... <laughs> if if we're not, I got to get this out now. Yeah, you better. So, so why? In oh the video, God. we're test driving. You know, love is a battle. You didn't post this video. No, no, no. Oh. I, I oh. needed him to film it. Oh. And so I'm like, well, here's the end of the video, uh, Myron. We get back to the Porsche dealership. I turn off the engine. He's in the passenger seat, and he says to me, "Hey, what you think?" And I'm like, well, the car is great, but that drummer in that song sucks. Oh. oh. But kidding, of course. Oh, no. And he did get back to me. I'll be honest with you. He, he said, didn't get back. I'll have to think about it. I think I can help you. But do you think he, I know you can't speak for him, but do you think he mistook, like, I was just going for, and then the camera would. I know him pretty well. I think I can give you okay. some input. I need water. I'm cringing. Hold on. Please do. I, it, the whole idea was oh, the ends. The end shot would be of his face, kind of with this "what the fuck," or that raised eyebrow from uh, uh, get uh, nervous. Get nervous, right? <laughs> so I, I don't know. I felt really bad. Oh, gee. Well, what advice would you you're give? You're not me? shy. I'll give you that. You're not shy. I took a shot. You did take a shot. Some of us have a switch to not do that. You, your switch is rusty. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> yes, it is. Love is a battlefield, and Myron is pretty special. Have you ever heard of a Lynn drum machine? I have not. It's a machine that plays drums. You program it, you tell it what to do. Neil bought one. Uh-oh. The first thing he ever programmed on it was that beat. Right? Right. All that introduction and all the way through the song. Myron picked up on it right away because he's a great drummer. Me took me forever because I did not understand what this drum machine was telling me. Neil handheld me through it. Neil helped me create the greatest bass line of my career. But Myron had to, and on that record, had a lot of work to do. He had to play with that drum machine in his ear practically 24-7. I think he's bruised, even though it's a great track, and he appreciates Lynn drum machines. I think that he may have a bruise. I know I certainly do. I think that that's the reaction you're getting from Myron. He may think it over. Maybe he'll hear this. I hope so. Or maybe I'll call him. Can you send him this link? I know he probably won't listen to it. I but will. I, I will. felt bad. I'll call him. 
Because I've asked a few people. I said, hey, if I did this idea to you, you didn't know me, what would you think of this request? And they'd be like, Earl, we'd think you were making fun of us. And I really, I feel, I'm almost, I'm welling up. I feel so bad that. We, yeah, that's, uh, humor's tough. It's tough. It's an art and it's tough. You know, that might be a winner. Who knows? I don't think it It, was. It may pop up later. I think it would be hilarious. <laughs> I still would want to do it. If you it. knew how many times I heard comedians say that with that face, I think it'd be hilarious. I've seen that. It hasn't always been true, but... How about this? Let me spend the... I'm, I'm, I'm brainstorming right now. How about we do that video as is, but in the end shot where they go for the look on his face, where I'm like, this drummer's not very good. He's in the Get Nervous Dentist outfit. He probably wouldn't do that, but... <laughs> I think you have to fly that in. Okay. Um, I mean, maybe, I love him. Now, listen, I've I've rewritten screenplays. I've worked hard. I I know how to put words together. I might suggest a different punchline. I got it. I, and and I might suggest a punchline like, is that a limb drum machine? Seriously. Okay, there you go. And then those that know what a Lindrum machine, which is about 0.2% of the population, if that, but then they're going to look it up. We've got Google now, so jokes get over a little later, but they get over. Well, yeah, well, I'm I'm sorry for anyone that has a hard time with Myron. Myron and I fought like cats and dogs for years because that's just our relationship. We love each other deeply. Uh, but he's, um, uh, Myron takes his family very seriously. And like I mentioned before about songwriting, um, he was married. He had Kylie or Picklehead. You saw her button on the Get Nervous album. Right. That's Kylie on, oh, the, wow. on, on the button there. And she's doing this. He said, stretching down each side of his face into the get nervous face. Because we'd say, hey, Picklehead, get nervous, and she'd do it. And so that's how the Get Nervous album came to be named, because she could get nervous. And and her buttons on the face, on on Patty's uh, uh, strap jacket. So uh, Myron seriously took care of his family. He was a man about his dealings. And so there goes some humor right. out the way there. So Myron does have humor. I've seen him laugh until he's red in the face. But I've also seen him look like Van Gogh after the ears were gone, you know? I think that was after he got my email. Oh, Lord. But Myron, if you are listening to this when it was released, I will buy a Porsche for me one day. <laughs> oh, Myron. I know what you're feeling, bud. What do you think those negotiations will be like when I walk in and say, Myron, I'm the idiot that uh, wanted to do the video, but I'm here to buy That's a car. That's the way to start if you want to get a deal at all. <laughs> Bring it up later after you right. got a deal. Oh, right. Yeah, and make him feel worse. So we sign the check. Hey, here's the yeah. check, 120 you done. Yeah. Hey, Myron, I don't know if you remember an email you got a couple years ago, but uh, I'm that or, guy. Hey, Myron, you are the best drummer ever, man. If you ever play anywhere, let me know. I'll come see you. Don't mention it. If it didn't well, he go did. over once, it's not going to go over twice. 
After uh, you're right, but I I don't yeah you know Roger I still do a baby Godzilla joke that still gets no laughs, but I'm so in love with the joke. You still do it. I do. It's, you believe in it, don't you? I do, but I'm starting to think after maybe a couple hundred times it might not be funny. Mm, baby Godzilla joke. Mm. Well, can I tell you the joke? Let me have it. I want to know. Uh, as a child, I uh, was infatuated with Godzilla. As we all were. I mean, terrible, it, scary monster. He yeah, ate Tokyo. Sixties and seventies. If you were a child, uh, you know Godzilla was uh, basically what the movie Transformers is today for kids. Right. Uh, yeah. And there was a a movie called Son of Godzilla that uh, proved to me really how abusive a father Godzilla was. There was <laughs> there was that one scene where Godzilla is trying to teach his son to blow smoke, and he would. The little baby would try and only a little smoke ring would pop out. And so finally Godzilla whacks him over the head with his tail and he blew out a big smoke thing. And then at the end of the... That made him mad, okay. Right. At the end of Son of Godzilla, they, they fight the monsters and they're walking off into the snow together and it makes me cry every time. And the joke is... Uh, God's, baby, the, the mother of Godzilla must have had a huge vagina because... Baby Godzilla came out of it, and Godzilla went into it, and it's never gotten a laugh ever. <laughs> You're kind of laughing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to stay conscious. I it, am. <laughs> it's the absurdity of a comic thinking of what Mrs. Godzilla's vagina looked like. Well, it looked good once. Well, I don't, I don't know if it did. It, it it had it got a baby. It good. It looked good once. So so, baby Godzilla came out of it, and Daddy Godzilla went, went into it. it. So it came out of it and came into it. Right there, you, there you go. There's we, the word. Now we're writing jokes. Well, I help Belzer. Come on, man. Look, the answer is either A and two, or one and B. Right. Well, listen. That's my joke. You'll hear him say it sometime. Well, I mean... I love playing shows. So at Catch a Rising Star, when I first got up there, I would go play with Patty. And then uh, other singers say, hey, will you play with me too? Sure, let me have your material. And so I got them addicted to having... At Catch a Rising Star, during the week, they had piano. On Fridays and Saturdays, they had piano and drums. But when I got there, every night they had piano and bass. Right. Because I was there anyway, why not? And on the weekends, we had a band. So there's lots of singers I could name, but and Patty Smythe is one of them. And a friend of mine, she lives oh. in Vegas. She was there, gorgeous, and sang her ass off too. Still gorgeous and still sings her ass off. But anyway, um, Patty or someone like her said, Roger, will you be here next Wednesday? I've got an agent coming in. And just so happened, oh, I'm supposed to be in the village. I'm playing with somebody that night. But it's only for 25 bucks. If you will do that, I'll get a substitute down there and I'll be here for you. So I would make that 25 right. bucks. Plus, I would say, and tell Rick that we need a bass player here at Catch a Rising Star. I went on that campaign for three months, and boom, I was doing Friday and Saturday nights, and then boom, I expanded that to 
Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So I was pulling in good bucks every week, living in New York City. That $9,000 I went up with in 74 was long gone by early 75. Right. So I had to make a living. Now, over in the Valley, there's a karate master named Mel Pralgo. He had uh, a club date band. Patty and I used to play with him every weekend. So between playing the club and going out and doing sweet 16s, bar mitzvahs, bas mitzvahs, weddings with Mel, and we must have played 300 gigs with him. We were in good money in New York City, and I was doing great for a kid from Harlan, Kentucky. Right. Yeah. So life was good in New York, and and to laugh your ass off every night and be with your best friend every day and write songs and, I mean, crap, what a life. And then you guys became, like, the biggest band in the world. Yeah, well, there's... It was Pink Floyd. They held the position number one for 14 months, was it? I mean, you guys. We, we never could get up there. And then John Lennon, for crying out loud, imagine, held us down. So we got up there pretty high. I think we did get top 10, but. Because you guys were the darlings of MTV. and, and Yeah, like, she was. But you guys were, I mean, like when I say. I it was mean, a good band to look at, too. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. Neil's a, I mean, a oh, he's, he's, good looking he's, dude, I guess. And, uh, yeah, he's a romantic, muscular Italian guy. And, uh, you know, Myron uh, was uh, the interesting. The yeah. red hair. He and, was the only one in the band that actually took acting lessons. Oh, really? Yeah. He he was a dramatist. Well, that, That's why he knew to move like he did and, and to make the big arm sound uh, oh, signs uh, so that the audience could see it, understand that that meant clap louder. Well, oh, he was like oh. such a showman. And like, you know, it, when he uh, stopped drumming for Patty, like there was a couple albums I remember listening to. One was Lita Ford's that I go, wow, oh, yeah. I really yeah. love the drummer. Yeah. And I Lita who, loves him. Who is this drummer? There he is. And it was like that that's Pat Benatar's drummer. Mm. And I just wouldn't associate not realizing how tight of musicians you guys were that you guys could play a metal album. Like mm -hmm. and uh you know, uh he also played now I'm a big songwriting fan. Like yeah. and my favorite songwriter uh is Desmond Child. Oh sure. Like the, yeah, I love them, yeah. The way that man can write a sap, and I mean this in the most complimentary of ways, a sappy ballad is just... It's uh, an art. And he drummed uh, on an album by Alice Cooper's old guitar player, a guy by the name of Kane Roberts. Mm -hmm. And Desmond Child wrote every song on the album. Wow. And it was... I'd the, like to do that one day. <laughs> I'd like to get his publishing checks. Oh, my God. I mean, he... Uh, and Myron was the drummer on the album. And, mm -hmm. uh, like, did you... Amazing. It, well, it was just like... It, it was kind of like a... Myron's a great technician. Yeah, it was... And that's a good drummer. When you got a great technician who can pull off things, because his toolbox, he has so many styles and so many flavors to that style. He's just a monster. And... He deserves every bit of the respect that he gets. Absolutely every bit. Now, when you left Patty's band, did you get like similar offers to play like different genres of music? Like, I'm not necessarily saying Lita Ford, but like, did someone like, I don't know. No. Um, 
when Patty pulled the rug out from under me to save my life, thank you, dear, I kind of went away from music. Okay. I went fishing. And I stayed fishing. And uh, I did a couple of projects. I produced a couple of things. I played on a couple of things. But nothing mentionable. I did do a tour in uh, Europe with uh, a Catch a Rising Star alumni, Richard Gerstein. Okay. And uh, Richard T. Berry's known as. And uh, and I got to make a great friend there. Talk about your good drummer, Richie Hayward, Little Feet. Right. Just, just amazing. Such a satisfying tour. And uh, I've done a couple of tours since then, but uh, nothing like before. You know, I guess if I was... Any better, I would be more wanted. But, no, no, I disagree. You know, well, I mean, I did what I did to the best of my ability, and it was great. I listened to the records, and they're they're damn good. Well, we're gonna. I'm, I'm not shy. I'm, it's good. It's my good. fans are rabid, and we're gonna hashtag. <laughs> I'm gonna do that right now. As a matter of fact, here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Get me and Patty and Neil up. I want to see more videos. I don't. Uh, and uh, if you go friend me, you'll see a lot of good stuff on there. I've got a picture from that show, July 13th at Pack Amphitheater. Now, are you on Twitter? I've got a Twitter handle, but I never use it. I'm too busy. I suggest you. Now, I'm not giving you advice, but I mean, you can. It's I, okay. Well, listen, you won't take advice from me. What? <laughs> what? Uh, let me see. I'm gonna because when I looked you up on Twitter, of course, uh, hundreds, thousands of uh, fans mentioning your name, but there's no direct Twitter. What is your direct Twitter account? I don't remember. Is that the account? I don't. That should be your <laughs> handle. I don't remember. Yeah, that would be a good one. That would be Roger for sure. You know, I've just been so wrapped up in this chemo thing for the last three years. I've really gotten unplugged. Uh, I had a Twitter account four years ago, and I'd have to look it up. I have no idea. Maybe I should make a new one. Uh, what would what would make it? I mean, I, I do think so because Roger Caps on bass. I would work? think. Uh, well, uh, there's. Pro I'm guessing, uh, knowing you know, I, I'm fairly proficient in the world of Twitter. I would say there's probably already a Roger Caps, maybe. Uh, mm -hmm. R caps, you know, any uh, something, yeah. C caps, uh, baseman yeah. caps, uh, you know. Uh, okay, something with bass in it. Yeah, something. And, then, and my name. Right. And then we get that hashtag game going. So I'm going to go on Twitter right now. And uh, what is that hashtag again? Oh, the one for me is uh, hashtag P A T T I R O G E R. S-P-Y-D-E-R 2016. All right, we're going to... Well, thank you. Now, we're going to get... That. So, guys, when you listen to this show, uh, don't worry about me. My career is fine. Just kidding, guys. <laughs> worry about me, please. We're going to hashtag this. We want to get the gang back together on stage live again. I know I do. Uh, that's a video. I know I do. I have dreams about it. Damn. Well, we're going to get, I'm going to make it happen. That uh, Roger's holding up Bobby Brown's book. Uh, she was a guest on Inappropriate Earl. Uh, she was, of course, known to be the cherry pie video girl. In she the likes uh, lollipops, evidently. Well, I, I think she likes a little more than that. And that, uh, Roger's one of my. Favorite singers I've had on the podcast, oh, yeah. the great Stephen Piercy from Rat, <laughs> who uh, Rat's one of my favorite bands, and uh, 
It was not. See who was in Rat. I can tell you. I'll line up. No, uh, Rat was uh, Stephen Piercy on vocals, Robin Crosby a rhythm guitar, Warren D. Martini, Juan Crochet on bass, <laughs> and uh, the great Bobby Blotzer, who uh, refuses to come on my podcast, but uh, that's another. I'll have a chat with him. I, I think it's irreconcilable. I think I have a better chance of Myron coming on. Uh, I guess him and Steven don't get along. He's like, no, you had Steven on. I don't want to go on. So, uh, oh, Myron's pretty strict. But if you could uh, maybe throw in a word towards Patty, uh, she'd probably be like, who the hell is this guy? But uh, is she L.A.-based? Malibu-based. There's a big difference. There is. It's, it's, uh, maybe they would both come on. I, but who knows? We'll talk. Uh, you know. You never say never in this wacky way. Until you ask, it's a no. Well, when I first saw you on Facebook, I was like, hey, he's probably not going to come on. He's like, who the hell is this guy I don't know of? Uh, I'll tell you why I'm here. Please. I'd... And how this came to be. About two years ago, I posted another old video. And this girl, who will remain nameless, she posted, God damn it, Roger, don't you ever do anything recently? You always put up this old stuff. And instead of getting mad, I said, you know, blank, you're right. Lately, here's what's been going on with me. I had spinal surgery after a car wreck, and right now I'm fighting cancer, and the chemo's killing me. And I really don't get out very much. and. I love uh, those guys so much. It gives me happiness to post that stuff. But I'm doing this project uh, with Greg Wright. I'm doing that. And, and I put a bunch of things on there. And she apologized immediately and deleted her comment. But then, and I think at this point in time, I had maybe 80 friends. And then I got all these friend requests. And then Neil Giraldo came on and told me a story I did not know. He says, I can tell you this about Roger Capps. He is a great man and a great bass player. When Chrysalis hired me to run the project, they wanted to clean house and start with me and Patty and get an all-new band. And I told them that he was too nice a guy Patty's friend and too good a bass player. And if they were going to fire him, I was not going to do the job. Well, that blew me away. I thanked him, of course. But then I started thinking to myself, what am I going to do to thank Neil for jumping in and covering me like this? And I didn't know that he was watching me, right? So... I decided to go to every Benatar fan club on the planet and text each, minor, men, uh, each member saying, Hi, I'm Roger Capps. I'm original bassist. If you have any questions, I'd be glad to answer them. Right. I text every member of every club, Finland, Egypt, Germany, France, everywhere. And that was... Uh, Gosh, I think it was sometime in, in December. And for the next four months, since I was all chemoed out and in bed anyway, 
I spent the entire time texting back answers to over 4,500 people. <laughs> and that's a hell of a book of text, I'll tell you. But I answered everything honestly and quickly. And uh, it took me a while to catch up, but I got it all done. And now, with all the friend requests, so many great things in the universe have happened since then. Right. And uh, one of them was I got to play with Neil and Patty that July at Pacific Amphitheater. Google that. July 13, Pac Amphitheater. Oh, well. Benatar. And... Uh, and you'll see uh, you'll see three happy faces, that's for sure. And and now I got a couple of thousand friends and real active Facebook life. And besides that, this other thing with the uh, um, uh, uh, what did I say I went on tour with uh, the, um, the Catch a Rising Star in Germany? Um, no, not that one. The one with the uh, Oh, God, Johnny Cash, the Johnny Cash band, right. and to touch base with my old friend just before he died. Right, Dodge. And um, that February, Matt Sorum called Greg Wright and said, hey, I'd like to get that old band back together we had. I've got some time coming up. So they started talking about that. It never came to fruition, but we got back in touch. And, like, since Neil gave me a little pat on the back and, and showed that he was still my friend and still loved me. The universe opened up and my health came back and my life expanded. Everything just got better. And we got puppies. Come on, I got puppies. Well, you look great. Yeah. And, and hair. Right. Well, yeah, you, got, you still got most of your hair, man. That's no... Listen, you and I are... It's an amazing life I've had. And and it's getting better. I can't believe it, but it's getting better, actually better as we speak. So that's why I'm doing this, because I don't turn down the opportunity to sit in with tribute bands. I don't turn down the opportunity to chat with a fan and tell them stuff I know that nobody else knows or some fact they think they know. Right. You know, and uh, I've straightened a lot of people out and and helped them, you know, because fans are passionate. They want to know exactly what the hell's going on. Yeah, other than the, you know. And now today we've touched on me getting fired, and this is the first time other than dinner. I think it was last week, and that's right. the only other time I've talked about it. So that's how I got here today. Thank you, Neil Giraldo. Well, Neil, uh, thank you. I'm a fan of yours. Feel free, free to get my info from Roger. I'd love to have you on. Oh, Neil, you should see this Gretch. It's orange electromatic she's beautiful her name's mariah well i mean raj i know your time is valuable uh so we, we just got a few minutes uh left now people that listen to this podcast know i live on the street in west hollywood called larrabee and at the end of this street is a uh gay nightclub called flaming saddles I used to know a place called the White Swallow. Oh, I, I bet you did. Uh, um, I won't ask how, but uh, before it was Flaming Saddles, it was Larrabee Sound Studios. And uh, some great albums were done there. I, of course, I'm an Ozzy Osbourne fan. He did Ultimate Sin there, uh, which uh, 
is one of my favorite Aussie albums, and uh, I Prince did some parts of Purple Rain there. Uh, I did Mango Bang there. So what uh, what were your experiences at Larrabee Sound Studios? At Larrabee Sound Studios, I was um, I did a couple of demos there for some people, and uh, one of them is in Las Vegas right now. Uh, Patty, that's where we met. Uh, did no Patty material there, but um, when I was doing Mango Bang, which is a local salsa rock band, they're just great. The Nelson Brothers, they're terrific. And I gotta say that album was fabulous. It didn't go anywhere, but it's still fabulous. And while I'm uh, there, Robin is there from uh, Cheap Trick. We were talking about Cheap Trick before. The great Robin Zander himself. And Robin, I don't know for sure, but he might have been into Est at the time or some transcendental something, because he was beaming these eyes at me. He wasn't talking. He was just looking at me. Uh, I think he was trying to do what they call a confront because they were looking for a bass player at the time. I didn't know, but they were looking for a bass player. So you know what year it was. I don't, but it was that year. And then he just started following me from upstairs where they were. They played the tracks for me that they were doing, and uh, the tracks were great. But then he followed me downstairs, and he followed me to my studio. And there's a little glass window in the studio, and he just put his face in it. And without smiling, he just stared at me and stared at me. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Now I know, Robin, call me. I'll do the gig. That would have been good timing, don't you think? That was about 1986. Yes, I think uh, Tom Peterson uh, yes. had... Uh, there were issues. Uh, yes, I think that's a good way to put yes, it. there were issues. The great Tom Peterson. Uh, he played his ass off, yeah. No, he's yeah. the uh, master of the 12-string bass, I think he yes. breaks out. Yep. Yeah. I tried one of those. They're quite a handful, but that's my neighborhood. Yeah. Well, Roger... Uh, before we go, uh, I just want to say it's been an amazing uh, honor to, to have you on. Um, well, people, thank you. How do you make people so comfortable? Was it that stuff in the bag that we sniffed? What was yeah. it? Yeah, well, it's the drugs I put in your water. Uh, thank you. And, uh, One to go, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I can't have any 80s metal guys on. They, <laughs> uh, but w people on Facebook can find you at just Roger Caps. Roger Caps, the number two, is really me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's a there's another one, uh, Roger Caps concert tour, and that's got a lot of photo stuff, and uh, that one I go to uh, about every month or so. But my Roger Caps two is where I actually virtually exist. I'm there just about every day for a little while, anyway. No, oh, you're awesome, and I, uh, with your permission, you know what the what the kids do these days. Yes, there's a thing called Periscope. And I have uh, thought a fun way to end the podcast would be if I sat next to you and just maybe we just did the first verse of uh, Shadows of the Night. <laughs> Get over here. I'll sing it. Uh, let me see here, guys. This is uh, maybe the greatest way to uh, end Inappropriate Earl in the history of Inappropriate Earl. Now, hold on. Let me... Get the, uh, all right. 
So I'm going to start. We're running with the shadows of the night. So baby, take my hand. It'll be all right. Surrender all your dreams to me tonight. They'll come true in the end. A little musical break. You said, oh girl, it's a cold world when you keep it all to yourself. I said you can't hide on the inside all the pain you've ever felt. Ransom my hopper, baby, don't look back, cause we got nobody else. We're running with the shadows of the night, so baby, take my hand, it'll be alright. Surrender all your dreams to me tonight, they'll come true in the end. We're running with the shadows of the night. So baby, take my hand, it'll be all right. Surrender all your dreams to me tonight. They'll come true in the end. God damn, Roger, that is and the... And that was Mariah on guitar. She Mar- was her own self. The great Roger Caps on bass, Mariah on guitar, and my semi... <laughs> and the hammer on microphone. <laughs> and my parents... All you guys out there, all Earl's friends, believe me when I tell you, I love you all very much. And please uh, support Roger Caps. He didn't have to do this video, or th- th- this podcast video, and he's truly uh, an amazing bass player, uh, and he'll be back for more. Uh, so spread the word, Inappropriate Earl, iTunes and SoundCloud. We're, we're, so baby, they'll come true in the end. We're running with the shadows of the night. So baby, take my hand, it'll be all right. Surrender all your dreams to me tonight. They'll come true in the end. Inappropriate Earl, my favorite episode ever. Ha, ha, ha.